Hello, and welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, and this time around, I'm joined by Chris McMillan, assistant basketball coach at Idaho State of the Big Sky, and the first guest from the former Hawaii staff of Gib Arnold. McMillan, a strongly built former Wyoming point guard, who was present for essentially all of Arnold's four-plus years in Manoa, was a director of basketball operations when things began to fall apart under the scrutiny of an NCAA investigation and a hostile administration in 2014. Here's what happened from his point of view, how the fallout affected his career path, and whether he still keeps in touch with his scattered staff mates. Meanwhile, since the previous pod, the Los Angeles Lakers were crowned NBA champions with their six-game victory over the Miami Heat in the Orlando bubble. It was the 17th title for the franchise, the fourth for LeBron James, and the third for Lakers player development assistant Phil Handy, who of course helped Hawaii to a WAC championship back in 1994. On the other sideline, fellow UH alum Anthony Carter was denied his first championship as the Heat's Cinderella run in the bubble came to an end. But now, let's hear from Chris McMillan. Here we go. Exciting news. The Court Sense Podcast has a sponsor. Amazing. Check out Mike and Kara at Nokooi Automotive in Kalihi for all your vehicle repairs and maintenance needs. Quick turnaround, affordable, honest, and ASE certified. Call or text 842-6453 to schedule an appointment today. That's 842-MIKE or email nokaoiauto at gmail.com. The best part? Mention the Court Sense Podcast for a 10% discount. All right, this week on the Court Sense Podcast, I am truly honored to be joined by a special guest in Chris McMillan. He is an Idaho State full assistant coach. Uh, he joined the Bengals last season before COVID had its effect on Division One programs all across the country. Chris was formerly the director of basketball or op- operations. He also did some strength coach and video editing responsibilities at the University of Hawaii under Gib Arnold from that kind of 2010 to 2014 time period. So Chris McMillan, it's, it's great to see your face and catch up with you a little bit, man. Hey, it's good to see you too, man. I appreciate you uh, thinking about me for your, uh, for your new podcast. It's a, it's a new normal for a lot of people adjusting with everything going on. So uh, great seeing you, man. It's been a really, really long time. Looking forward to digging into this. Yeah, Chris, uh, you have taken, I think it, it's fair to say, a, a winding path since your time at the University of Hawaii, right? Um, you had a stop at the College of Southern Idaho, a very renowned junior college program. You went east, eastward bound to Illinois, Chicago, I think, uh, player development for like four years, if I'm not mistaken. Latched on, yeah. as I said, at Idaho State, now as a full Division One assistant coach. So I want to say congratulations because I know that's, that's a big leap to make, right, getting that full assistant status. How, how does that feel for you, man, now? Yeah, no, it feels good, man. It, uh, you know, when I first got into coaching in 2009, uh, you have your path that you think you're going to take, right? You know, I would, uh, you know, a couple of years as an ops guy, get a full-time assistant job by year 10, have a chance to maybe be a head coach. And it was everything but that, you know, and for a number of different reasons, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, 
you know, did operations, uh, was a graduate assistant at Hawaii for two years, um, was an operations guy for two years. After my fourth year there at Hawaii, you know, I learned the ugly side of the business. You know, that was my first taste of um, something bad happening to somebody who didn't deserve it, quite frankly. And I'm referring to me, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, then go to CSI as an assistant. And then the guy that I played for in college gets the UIC job. Um, and, and, and again, I, I always thought I'd eventually be an assistant for him. And, you know, I got to be heavily involved. And, you know, I helped out a lot on the court when I could, obviously, within uh, the legal ramifications of the NCAA. We weren't breaking any rules in NCAA. And, uh, you know, finally had a chance uh, to, to get a full-time assistant job here at, at Idaho State, you know, with Coach Looney. Um, you know, when I was at UIC, I, I was always in for assistant jobs. Like, I was always close, you know, first or second. And coaches just couldn't wrap their mind around hiring a strength coach. I was so much more than that. You know, I wasn't a strength guy that knew basketball. I was a basketball guy that knew strength, which for me is so much different. And so Ryan, you know, took a shot on me and, you know, it's been great, man. I finally got my shot after 11 years in the business and uh, I'm hopefully it can catapult me into some, you know, great things to come. So yeah, it's been a windy road for sure. And definitely um, a path I wasn't expecting taking or expecting it to take this long to get this title. Yeah. So Ryan Looney is the, the guy who, who brought you in there and gave you that, that honor as being, uh, you know, that first full assistant title, uh, you know, how would you sum up, I guess, how this last season went as, you know, under that new responsibility for you? And uh, I know it was thrown into disarray, just like everyone else in March when the, you know, COVID crisis came to full tilt, basically. And, you know, all the conference tournaments basically halted. I think you guys actually won your first round game, if I'm not mistaken, in the Big yeah, Sky tournament. For and, sure. Uh, I think it was a, there was a really tough stretch of, what was it like a double digit losing streak you guys underwent? How did you guys, I guess, yeah. deal with that? And, and now what's your outlook for this second season? For sure. Um, <laughs> season was tough, man. You know, I don't think anybody expects to go into a season thinking you're going to have a losing year. Um, the wheels fell off for us pretty early though, because um, we lost our starting five man. Braden Parker got hurt, stress fracture. What would have been probably our starting four men, Daxton Carr, um, did not get his waiver from Cal Poly. And then our two-man, Valent Moshan, who would have probably been our lead scorer, he has season-ending um, shoulder surgery. So we lose 60% of our starting lineup before a ball even got tipped, right? And so, you know, when I'm talking to recruits, I, I let them know. I'm like, hey, listen, don't look at the record because despite all those things and how crazy it was, we lost nine games by six points or less, right? So we're in games. Like, we're not getting blown out, and we're severely undermanned. You know, our five-man was 6'6", 190. And, you know, I, I describe it to an F-150 versus a Fiat, right? Over the course of a game, you know, the F-150 is going to wear you down. So Ryan did a great job keeping us in games. We still were able to win eight games. And for the first time in 12 years, we won a, a conference tournament game against a team that was obviously picked, picked higher than us. So the program works. I'm sorry. The system works, mm -hmm. but there's no doubt. I don't know that anybody could have did with that personnel, keeping them in games, winning like we did what Ryan did. So 
guys are completely bought into the system. And then now this year we have a chance to recruit. We got a seven footer, six, nine, six, eight, you know, we got big boys down there. And then around them, we have a bunch of guys that can make threes. The outlook and trajectory of the program is going in the right direction, you know, on paper, right? Now we got to go out and perform and maybe get a little bit lucky, you know, and stay COVID free. Um, but I think this program is going in the right direction. And, you know, Idaho State has been for a long time the doormat of the big sky. And I think Ryan's done a great job. And um, we're going we're gonna to turn this thing around here, not before long. So, Chris, uh, well, to COVID, which you just mentioned there, if you're lucky enough to stay COVID intact for hopefully the, the majority, if not all, of the season, uh, what are some of the ways that this thing is just – you know, upset the balance uh, for you guys there in, in Pocatello, Idaho. I mean, it's, you know, everyone had the, the shift of the college basketball start date to November 25th. Today was actually the first, we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, the first day of full Division One college basketball practices nationwide. So what, what have been kind of the, the repercussions of, you know, how you guys have had to operate uh, just to get a sense of, you know, another Division One college basketball program out there from, you know, far flung from here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's been, well, the nice part is we had a lot of our recruiting done last fall. And so guys actually had a chance to take visits. Um, it's a little bit harder, I think, for, um, for this class, right? Because kids can't take visits. You can't evaluate, right? So you're going um, solely on um, people's words and opinions. You got to reach out to your network to make sure um, they're giving you good evaluations on people. So I think the recruiting piece has been the hardest, but um, because of relationships, we've been able to get kids committed sight unseen. Um, Idaho for a long time wasn't a hot spot. So we've been able for the most part to be able to still be in gyms and work guys out in small groups, be it, but we haven't had the restrictions that some of the bigger cities have had. So, um, you know, it, it's been tough for sure. Um, you know, you want to be able, able to let the guys play, and, but we, we've been able to be around them more than most because of where we're located. So it, it, it's been an adjustment, but not an adjustment like some of the other schools have had. How about scheduling, man? I, like everyone's non-conference schedule got torn to pieces, right? And uh, it, are there any chances that uh, you guys at the University of Hawaii link up this, this season? You know, I, I hope so. I, I don't know. I know there was brief talks about it. Um, oh, really? I haven't, I haven't heard much of it. Um, since, you know, I mean, I would love to come back to Hawaii for five days. You know, I spent uh, four years there and know the town well and have friends there and have favorite restaurants I'd love to hit. Um, I know right now the only thing that we have locked in for sure is uh, we're in a tournament with uh, Santa Clara, UC Davis, and I believe Nichols. And so I know that's going to be three of the games. And then we have Utah Valley. Outside of that, my man, I couldn't even begin to tell you what the schedule is. I know we have 20 conference games, um, which it used to be 16, but I haven't yeah, seen 20 is a lot. 20 is a, a lot. So, and I know they're talking about if you're on the road, you'll play that team twice. So if we're playing Montana State. We'll play Montana State on Thursday and Saturday and then be done to limit travel. I, wow. So that's interesting. I don't know if the big West is considered that as well. I think there's a lot of things that are probably being considered right now, but so you're saying every team you play at home, you get them twice at home and every team you play on the road, you play them back to back twice on the road. Back to back on the road. Yeah. Which, I mean, who knows, man, if, 
if it goes well and it's saving teams money, that might be the new formula. You know, if you've got a little bit smaller budget, it's um, one less flight you're taking, you know what I mean, which is expensive. Maybe it's a bus ride. Maybe you're saving, you know, ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000, which for schools like us is it's a, it's a ton of money. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I guarantee, well, at least I would strongly think the Big West would take a look at that in an unconventional you know, season like, like this. I mean, for the universe, University of Hawaii, for example, like, yeah. are they, there's the, been thought, a thought that they're going to have to play all of their conference games on the mainland because no one will be willing to come out here, you know, fly all the way out here when there's still yeah. some form of travel restrictions. Uh, some of that is, a lot of that is supposedly being lifted on Thursday tomorrow as far as the two week mandatory quarantine, but, but who knows, right? So uh, interesting times right. for sure, man. You know, well, yeah, for sure, Chris, as you alluded to, I mean, Hawaii is a place that you spent a good amount of time, you know, in your early college basketball coaching days. And uh, I'm just yeah. curious, first off, like, please bring me back to that moment, I guess, when when it became a realistic possibility for you that you'd latch on with the staff out here. I think you as you mentioned, you spent one year at Centenary College in Louisiana, right? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, you know, it's, I still, I remember it, you know, you, <laughs> you get into coaching and um, I was making 400 bucks a month at Centenary College. I was 29 years old. Um, so 400 bucks a month at that age is terrible for the, your dating life. Um, you're not doing anything, right? You can't afford to. And so I remember that following year after I took the job at Centenary, they had decided to go Division Three, I believe. So I knew I was only going to be there for, for one year, right? It was always been my goal and my dream to be at the Division One level. So, um, you know, at the end of the season, there's a, a website called Hoop Dirt. So everybody's – and it's, it's much bigger now than it was back then. Sure, so you're sure. on Hoop Dirt, seeing who's getting what job and everything. And so um, when I was in high school, I played for these two guys, uh, David and Dana Pump, who, the Pump brothers, right? right. Everybody kind of knows them, especially on the West Coast. And so, you know, you're just reaching out to your contacts. And so I reached out to David or Dana, one of them, and just like, hey, you know, I'm at Centenary. They obviously remember me because I played for them when I was in high school. And so I'm looking to, you know, get another job somewhere else. Obviously, I was trying to get an assistant job or something like that. Again, I forget if it was David or Dana, but one of them was like, hey, my guy just got the job in Hawaii. Give him a call. His name's Gib Arnold, right? And so – you know, when you hear Hawaii and my guy just got a job, you it's like it's a pipe dream. You know what I mean? Like I almost didn't call, let alone expect Gib to call me back, right? So I call, I leave a voicemail, sit into my office in the sitting area, and sure enough, 808 number calls me back, and, and it's Gib. And so we kind of start talking a little bit, and I'm blown away. Like, man, the Hawaii coach called me back. I know he's getting hit from a number of different ways. Like, this is crazy. But, you know, in the text message – what I didn't realize at the time was Gib and David and Dana were best friends. So when I had put in the text and the voicemail, David and Dana gave me your number, like it just triggered, right? I got to call this kid back. Long story short, finds out Gib, when I was in high school, had recruited me when he was at Pepperdine. So once we had that connection, I was essentially hired over the phone an hour later. Uh, we met at the final four in Minneapolis, I think, maybe Indianapolis. We met there as a formality, um, and I was given the GA job. 
and that was it. Um, three months later, I packed up my stuff from Louisiana and moved to Hawaii. And so, um, you know, spent four years there and, you know, been kind of bouncing around ever since. Well, Chris, I think you early on uh, when we started, you, you mentioned that it, it ended as kind of a, a bad experience for, for you personally, unfortunately. And, um, you know, s- some people landed softer than others out of that situation. I think, you know, like we talked about, you had a winding road, but you at least landed on your feet. Um, yeah. You know, now that we're six years or so removed from the start of that NCAA whole saga, you know, January of 2014 is when a the, the investigation is launched. There was that uh, memorable, you know, incident with the, the altered admissions document for a player um, that triggered a whole, you know, domino effect of, of events that culminated with Gib Arnold's firing along with um, assistant coach Brandon Akana just yeah. prior to that 2014-15 season for, I believe it, the final count was like six uh, different NCAA investigate, uh, excuse me, NCAA allegations levied at them. So, uh, Chris, uh, like six years removed, how do you just kind of view that whole uh, window of your life, that whole saga in retrospect now? You know, um, <clears throat> huge learning experience, man. Wow. I, I, I never, you know, you, you had heard about the ugly side of, of college athletics, right? You've heard about um, people – We'll look out for themselves, you know what I mean? And, and, and again, I get it. Like there, there's that piece of it. Um, never did I think I would be um, a casualty of war, <laughs> you know, for something that I had um, no part in, you know, quite honestly. And so learned a lot. Um, I'll go on record, like when everything had kind of come out, um, the NCA wasn't recommending give be fired, by the way. You know, they were recommending like some suspension of games and and fines and things like that. Mm. So the firing of it, I think a lot of that just comes from two and three years prior stuff that was building up and they were looking for a reason to get them. Between the uh, administration and. Yeah, for sure. Because in of itself, the document, is it a bad thing? Yes. Is it an infraction? For sure. A lot, like a lot of the other stuff coming out, you know, pictures of a hotel room was one of them. Um, you know, uh, parents being on the the hotel, uh, uh, like not not registry, but like the uh, the reservation. Even though they were paying for their own um, rooms, because the rate was four dollars difference, that was an extra benefit. So stuff like that started coming out, right? And so. All those things are you know, very, it's very minor stuff. And so I think, um, you know, did being let go in light of all that had more to do with the three years prior than it actually did the investigation. You know, was Brandon wrong for what he did? Yeah. Should he even reprimand it? Yeah, for sure. Um, did they deserve to lose their jobs over it? Probably not. <laughs> if I'm being honest, right? Is it dishonest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But you know, before Brandon got fired, they had actually suspended him for a month. You know, I don't, I don't know how much he was making, but a month without pay is, is a lot of money, you know, for an altered document. I'm not condoning it by any stretch of the imagination, but I just think what I learned from that situation with Gibb is um, you've got to make sure you nurture relationships within your athletic department, right? Mm-hmm. 
because those are the ones, those are the people that when the chips are down and the NCA is coming in, you're going to need them to have your back. And you don't realize it in the, in, the, in the moments in years one and two when maybe there's arguments going on and there's tension. You don't realize it then that those are the people that when something, when one domino falls, it's those people that got to have your back. And I think, I think getting missed sight of that and ultimately it cost him his job. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, there was some, some definite friction there. Um, you know, I, I, as the, you know, beat writer for the team, I, I certainly picked up on some of that. It was hard to, hard to miss in, in certain instances, but I did not think it had the acrimony had built to the level that it clearly got to by the end of that situation. So that, that was an eye opener for me, uh, maybe as, you know, as well as, as you and, and other members of the staff, you know, the players, uh, a ton of people affected by it on down the line um, for sure. And Chris, you know what, I guess, as you, as you mentioned, like some of those, you know, different kinds of allegations they alleged, like, each one taken individually, maybe not that big of a deal in a lot of those instances. I, would, I think I would agree with you there for sure. Um, you know, there, there was some stuff with like the director of ops position when Kerry Rupp was there, was kind of right. one of the areas that they, they focused on. You yeah. know, there, there would be certain practices where the, the, it would be closed doors to, to the media like myself. You know, I'd be waiting outside after, after practice to interview Gibb and players. And, you know, it was kind of... Uh, you would hear uh, maybe a different voice coming out of the gym, like, uh, like, Oh, is Kerry Rubb actually coaching? But I had no visual, you know, evidence, you know, it's not like I uh, acted upon that myself. So, but my question, I guess for you, for you, Chris is, you know, along the way, did you, did you feel like something was amiss or uh, did, did, did it seem like it was just any other division one basketball program? Yeah, no, I mean, for me, again, at the time, I was only two, three years in the business. I didn't know what other teams were doing. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't, you know, I, I, I haven't been down in, in it, you know, 12 years. You know, there's a lot of teams doing a lot of things, right, that are, you know, maybe questionable. You know what I mean? But in, in terms of my time in Hawaii, everything seemed status quo, just like the norm for us. You know, I was – when I would read, you know, I would read the NCAA documents and things like that. I'd be like, "Oh man, I didn't realize that was a violation. I didn't know. I didn't even know that was a thing." You know, mm -hmm. when you're two or three years in, and you're just focused on doing a good job for your boss. Do as you're told. <laughs> yes, sir. No, sir. I got it. I'll take care of it. And you just you you move on. So, you know, I can't really speak to um, you know much more than. You know, we were just trying to do our jobs and do a good job while we were there, you know. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, Gibb, for where it was, he did bring Hawaii out the bottom of the league. I mean, we were a middle-of-the-pack team. I think as high as third, as low as six while he was there. You know, 17, 18, a 19-win like season. And uh, the year Gannat got there, Gibb's guys went to the NCAA tournament. <laughs> So it was going in the right direction, you know, for sure. Um, you know, hats off to, um, you know, Coach Gennady is an unbelievable coach and great staff there. They, they did a really good job, man, and taking the reins and taking that team to an NCAA tournament, which the state deserved. 
even the year before when when Benji was the the interim coach, I mean, they get to the Big West Championship game with basically those same players. Yeah, um, those was, same exact players. You know what I mean? Yeah, was that um, was it was it a, a weird thing for you to you know at that point you you had already um, departed Hawaii. You, you were, I think, uh, over at College of Southern Idaho at that point. Was it how was that for you to see yeah. guys that you had helped develop? You know, have that kind of success once everything had fallen apart, at least from that coaching, uh, you know, coaching regime. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I was probably bitter, right? Because again, you know, uh, whenever you're scapegoat for something, you know, you really didn't do, I think it's a natural emotion to feel a little bitterness toward, you know, staff and things like that. I was really happy for the players to have made it so far and things like that. But um, it was – it was crazy to see it come full circle because when, when Gibb first hired me, that was the plan. That was the dream. You know what I mean? Like in year four, five, make a run. And they did. And so it was just a testament to what, you know, Gibb and Benji and, you know, Walter Ruiz, who wasn't there, you know, anymore at the time, but to the players they had bought in, you know what I mean? Like Nikis Webster Chan was a good player. And because of that, you get Stefan, uh, Jankovic or Jovanovic and mm -hmm. they were just they were, it was a really really good team primed to make that run and to see it come full circle it was like man this is what we talked about this is what all the heavy lifting was for so um, I was excited to see him you know do the same thing the next year with coach Gannat he did an unbelievable job with those guys at the end of the day talent yes you have to have too but you got to be able to coach them dudes and make adjustments and he was able to do that well, um, I think it's fair to say that Gib, you know, embraced this kind of high risk, high reward way of running his program, right? Like recruiting guys, um, maybe even some of his in-game decisions he made. Uh, you know, you, there was the memorable game where Devise Rositas fouls out in the first half. Like he, he, Gib liked what he was doing against New Mexico State and he just rode him all the way and uh, he got a standing <laughs> O by halftime. Like yeah. when he fouled out, uh, I'll probably never forget that. <laughs> You know, yeah. Um, he just kind we of. Actually, I think we actually won that game. That was they were good that year. Uh, yeah, New Mexico uh, State. I, I think we won that game. I think you're right. Uh, I'm gonna have to go back and I believe you guys. Or if at, at worst it was a close loss against a, a pretty good team, but. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, well, Chris, when it came time, I guess at the end of that 2013-14 season which ended up being Gibbs last season. He made it all the way up to the right before pretty much the opener of the following season. But um, as that NCAA stuff was kind of being sorted through and, you know, there's maybe some closing of the ranks, circling of the wagons, you and coach Fisher both, I guess, had to either had to move on or chose to move on uh, depending on, I guess, whatever you want to say, but did it feel like Gibb was certainly circling the wagons at that point? when the NCAA stuff was all happening? Um, yeah, I think – so it's kind of like crabs, right? You've seen live crabs before. You know, when you start to pull them out, before you put them in the pot, they're just grabbing on to anything they can to try to survive, right? So I do think there was some of that, you know, even if it's calling of old players, trying to get them to, you know, vouch for you and things like that. Yeah, I think when your job is in the line, man, I mean, Gibb was making really good money. You know, when you have a – $300,000 job on the line, you're going to do whatever you can to save it. I would, you know, I'll call enemies. Hey man, I need help. Like I need you to, 
I need you to say this. I, I need you to help me with this. And so for sure, circling of the wagons, I think that was probably coming as he felt it slipping further and further away. Um, I think there's that aha moment. There's that clarity moment of um, I probably maybe should have done some things different early on. And, you know, regardless of what Brandon did, even if he had done that, maybe my job wouldn't be on the line. So I do think as he got closer, as much as you try to uh, turn a blind eye to the seriousness of it, you realize, hey, this is getting pretty bad. Like, I got I to gotta figure something out. And it just it didn't work out for him. There was that moment, I think, Chris, I, uh, I'm, you know, trying to get as much out of Gibb as I can, obviously being the, the reporter in that situation. And I remember one time asking him, because I had heard that you and Coach Fisher, Scott Fisher, were about to move on to, you know, leave, leave the uh, coaching staff. And I asked him, like, hey, like, so is this, is this accurate? You know, is what I'm hearing true? And his response was to send me a, a picture at a golf course. You guys all went out as a coaching staff. And he just kind of did like a selfie with all you guys smiling into the, into the camera. And he sent me that. It's kind of, you know, maybe like a little bit of a, an F you to me <laughs> for, you know, like yeah. uh, asking him about that. And, um, you know, it was, it's kind of funny in retrospect, but I, not long after right. that, you guys were gone. Yeah. Well, I, I was definitely not in that picture because I never golfed in Hawaii. But um Again, man, I, I, I referenced it and without going into the, all the gory details. It was literally, um, for me, this is, how I, this is the analogy I use. Uh, my situation, and I can only speak for myself, not Coach Fisher. My situation, how it ended at Hawaii, as best I can describe it, is this. You go to a doctor. They tell you you have brain cancer, right? And then they cut off your foot. You know what I mean? Like it didn't. <laughs> so like that's as best as I can kind of sum it up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it goes back to kind of circling the wagons of, okay, I got to do this. And, okay, and, and, and his name came up in the investigation. So if I show that I'm doing this, then, you know, they'll understand that I'm trying to do this. And so it, it just kind of fell short. You know what I mean? And again, I can only speak for myself. It's been seven years, so I don't mind uh, talking about it. Obviously, I, I landed softly. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it didn't affect me. My, my name's not in any NCA investigations. I've, I don't have any infractions. I've done everything the right way for the past 12 years, and, and I hang my hat on that. Well, I, I dug up this old quote that Gibb put out in a, in a statement in May, 20, uh, May of 2014 which I believe is right around the time that, that you had to go. Uh, yeah. And Coach Fisher, Gibbs said, in, in part, quote, I didn't want them to become complacent as career assistants here, was, yeah. was the quote that jumped out at me. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I would have loved to have been a career assistant in Hawaii. You know, pays good money. I would have bought a, a condo right there in Yacht Harbor Towers where I was living at the time, and I could have made a, a, a good life there. You know, so, um, you know, it, it is what it is. You <clears throat> college coaching one is such a fun profession. I'm so blessed to be able to do it. Um, a lot of it sometimes is just smoke and mirrors, you know what I mean? And you've got to uh, part of being a, a head coach and running a program is being able to deflect. Right. It's being able to be asked a question 
not really answer that question, make the person that asked you the question feel like you did answer it and something else. <laughs> or or like, make the person who asked the question. That's really. I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Gross. No, no. I mean, that's, that's pretty much, that's a lot of it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it, when it, when it comes to this type of stuff, you know, so um, yeah, I learned a lot, man, I'm, but I'm so happy to be at Idaho state and, you know, looking forward to the next 15 or 20 years of, of college coach. Well, I would add to what you just said or make the, the reporter or person asking the question feel stupid enough, stupid enough about asking that question that they don't put themselves in that situation again. It's kind of a, a ever again. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got to be very talented to do something like that. So, um, yeah, again, I, I keep saying it, you know, I'm, I was honored uh, to work for Gibb. I learned a ton. I, I thought Gibb was actually a really good coach. Um, I thought he did some good things. I thought he was a really good recruiter. I thought he bought talent um, that hadn't been at Hawaii. You know, Zane was already there, but you talk about Negus, Justin Thomas, you know, even though he had his issues, was a really good player. Um, Davis Rositas, seven footer, like he, he did, he did some really, really good things for us. And so Keith Schamberger was a good player. Um, Bobbick, Bobbick, Rod Bobbick, he he left. Yeah. Good player. And so, you know, I learned a lot from him from that aspect and, um, learned a lot of things I would take from him and some things that I would not take from him as well. I got, I got a quick aside since you listed off some specific players. The Vander Joachim walkout in the CIT game is kind of one of the non-NCAA-related, NCAA investigation-related, like, signature head-scratcher moments of, of the Gibb era. What do you remember from that game, that, that Air Force game against – that no one thought you'd be playing, first of all, uh, and then you guys yeah. get that CIT, you know, the, the, the school fronts the money for it. You guys are expected to actually probably beat that team. I think it was without its – it's leading scorers out with an injury and air force comes in and sinks a bunch of threes. And I guess something happens. Vander gets frustrated. Gibb gets frustrated and and Vander walks down the end of the bench, grabs some stuff out of the locker. And, and that's all she wrote for his, for his, which would have been over anyway, but it ended like several minutes prematurely. What what do you remember about that pretty surreal moment? Yeah, it was very bizarre. You know, and so I think when things like that happen, it doesn't just happen, right? There, that was build up and boil over from a lot of frustration for, and I, I can't speak for Vander, but I'm guessing for a lot of different reasons, right? Frustrating year, maybe the ball wasn't going inside. It could have been a myriad of reasons why that happened, but bizarre for sure. And you know, I, I want to say Ben Jay was still our AD. You know, Vander hadn't graduated at the time, but I think Ben Jay stepped in and said, hey, Len, listen, if, if you want to come back to school, we'll pay for it. So, you know, despite all of that, um, UH still tried to do things the right way. I mean, the goal is for kids to graduate college. And so I know Vander, having talked to him definitely years later, regretted it ending like that. Um but again, when you're 19 years old and you're 20 years old and you caught in your, the emotions of the game, you, you do stupid things. I did. Like, I, you know, you're a pup. You have this I don't care kind of attitude and me against the world type thing. And 
when you hit 25 or 26 and you have your own kids, you realize, hmm, I probably shouldn't have did that. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have did it. But um, Hawaii showed him grace. You know, he's welcome back there. You know, hopefully he'll go back. And if he hasn't already, get his degree. Vander was a very good post player. Like, if very he was good. a little bit more athletic, Vander was very good. Um, he jump hook it. He just – athletically moving laterally to really play at a high, high level of pro. I think that was what might've been holding him back, but I mean, he'll play basketball, I'm guessing in his you know native country for as long as he wants to. His junior year specifically, just a monster, monster season. That, that was monster. some of the most impressive yeah. stuff I've seen from one guy start to finish in a season the whole time I was covering the Hawaii basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he caught that ball in the block and I mean, did we have him and Foto ever together on the same teams? You know that his final year uh, was him, Christian Stan Harniger, Isaac Foto, as as arguably yeah. you know the best front court in the in the WAC at the time. And I think Nevada maybe <laughs> yeah. had one to rival rival it. That was kind of the head to head discussion for that storyline for those two yeah. teams. But uh, that was a heck of a front court talent wise, and just ridiculous. I mean, Isaac, Isaac would have been one of the best to put on a Hawaii uniform when it was all said and done. Agreed. No question. Isaac Foto was very good. <laughs> and so it was kind of crappy to see how his career ended. But, you know, I follow him on social media and he's playing big time pro basketball, man. You know, he's doing well. And so it's been it's been good to follow those guys. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask, I mean, how much do you keep in touch with guys you coached out here, you know, your fellow coaches on staff, whether it be, you know, Fish, Brandon O'Connor, Gibb, Benji, Walter Ruiz, yeah. uh, Jamie Smith, even Gibb himself. Did you, how often do you keep in touch or, or maybe not so much in some cases? It's crazy. About a year and a half ago, I got an apology text from Gibb. Wow. Uh, I did. So that was kind of surreal and cool and um, I wouldn't say cool. It, it was pretty surreal. It was a long one. I, you know, I don't have any more, but it was just kind of saying, Hey, you know, apologize and hate the way things went down and yada, yada. So, uh, Benji on social media, every once in a while, congratulated him when he got, you know, his head coaching job, Jamie Smith, every couple months will touch base. Um, he's obviously coaching for uh, great Britain. And so sometimes they have some young talent over there and, I'm just trying to build up my recruiting pipeline as best as I can. Um, Scott Fisher is a very, very good friend of mine. We talk often. Um, you know, when I was lived in Hawaii, I was single. Scott at the time was single. So we always went out. Uh, we always go to rum fire. That was our spot. We started Dukes and then slide to rum fire. And then <laughs> on the walk home, we, we go get, we go get some hot dogs at like hula hot dog or something like that wrapped in bacon. So um, Scott is a, great friend of me kind of a mentor uh, when I have questions about you know, life coaching I bounce things off of him. Um, he's come to games and I've been close to him um, last year he actually went to the Santa Clara game so I presume this year since we'll be playing in Santa Clara he'll do the same thing for that tournament so he's doing great married um, who else Akana have not talked to since I left Hawaii um, but I know he's I thought you know I get Updates. I know he's got a daughter going to USC, I believe. Um, I don't know how old Tal Seeley is, but I think he's almost in college. And it's crazy that, you know, 
I remember them as kids, 10, 11 years old, yeah. and now they're in college, years in high school. So it's wild how things come full circle. But um, I wish Brandon the best, man. Brandon was a good dude, fun to be around, just um, an unfortunate situation for a lot of different reasons. Well, I do remember, I mean, you and Coach Fisher being pretty much joined at the hip a lot of times. Like, it was always yeah. Fish and Chris. Chris yeah. and Fish. Like, that, yeah. was, that was my guy, man. That was my guy. I mean, Fish is, you know, he's just, he's like a, a 50s model. You know what I mean? Like, just tall and he was fun to be around. And, you know, we go to P.F. Chang's and eat every single weekend, Friday and Saturday. That was our spot. No, I was saying just of my time in Hawaii, my time, uh, my, my friendship with Scott Fisher is for sure um, what I am most thankful for. Scott is an unbelievable friend to me, man, a good dude. And um, I mean, love him to death. That's awesome. Uh, Chris, I mean, do you ever, you know, your, your coaching career has already had a number of stops. Do, do you ever see or hope that it, it makes its way back out here in some capacity at some point? Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, it's Hawaii, man. Um, Hawaii, I think, number one, is the best job in the Big West. There's no pro team there. There's no other Division One school there. Facility-wise, it is unbelievable, right? And so I just think – yeah, if I ever a chance to go back there, I for sure would go back. You know, I mean, as long as everything lined up and it made financial sense, I think Hawaii is a great place, man. I really do. And I think it deserves championships um, for all the sports. You know what I mean? Like, a kid comes on campus to Hawaii, he's going to have a hard time leaving. It's been known to happen. Yeah, no, it's been, a, it's been great having you on and catching up. I guess I'll, you know, I'll ask you – one more question kind of about basketball current events before I let you go. How much of the NBA bubble were you able to watch, enjoy? And I know you're a California guy. Uh, were you pulling for the Lakers, and how would you feel about them taking home the bubble title? Yeah, for sure. It was, I, was just, I was just so happy to see basketball again, man. I didn't realize how much I missed it. Um, I did say early on when the bubble hole started, I said, it's not going to shock me if a lower seed makes it to the finals, and Miami did. And I thought that because, you know, you don't have 18,000 fans uh, screaming and yelling at you when it's just you, your teammates. Um, it gives you a chance to win a game you probably shouldn't win, and Miami proved that. And so loved watching it. Uh, one of my best friends is an assistant with the Lakers, uh, Miles Simon. Miles Simon. And so – I'm cheering and screaming for him and was so happy for him. You know, I have a very great group of friends. Like, there's no hating in our group, you know. So, when one of us wins, we all win. And when he won that title, when they won that title, I felt like I won the title. You know, seeing my boy out there with LeBron holding it up. Um, I grew up a Bulls fan. Okay, make no mistakes. Michael Jordan, I think, is the greatest player of all times. Um but it's really cool to see the Lakers back on top of the throne, man. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's awesome. Felt like the league was missing something when they were irrelevant. Well, like the last, you know, six, seven years, right? Like it just felt like there was some part of yeah. the marquee experience that, that wasn't there. And I'm a Spurs fan and I hate the Lakers most of the time. So, you know, that should yeah, elevate sure. that comment even I mean, further. 
hundred percent. You know, it's like the Yankees when they have a bad year, right? It's like it's like that. You just expect the pinstripes to go deep. You expect the Lakers to go deep in the playoffs. Um, you just expect certain things from certain franchises. And so um, to see what – and Magic had a lot to do with it, but what Jeannie did and Rob Polinka and how they put those guys together, I'm interested to see how the next three years um, if they can, you know, repeat and, and, and have a pseudo dynasty, if you will. Well, all right, Chris, I, I remembered one more question I wanted to ask you before I cut you loose. And uh, sure. that, that would be, I noticed on the Idaho State schedule last year, it was either like the first or the second game of the year, you guys went and played at your alma mater, Wyoming, early in the year, right? Yep. What was that like for you yeah. going, going back to Laramie? You spent all your entire college career there. You started, I want to say, basically your entire college career, won a couple of Mountain West championships back when it was like the infant Mountain West and made it to the NCAA yeah. tournament. What was it like kind of, right. you know, retracing those steps at that time? It was, you know, I use the word surreal. It, it is because I remember in 1998, my dad dropping me off in Laramie, right? And he drops me off in front of the double A, the arena. And he looks at me. He's like, okay, listen, this is going to go by really fast. And when you're 18 years old, you're like, man, how fast can it really go by? Like, it's going to be four years. And then I remember walking across that stage as a college graduate. And then I remember moving to Arizona for six years. And then I remember getting into coaching. And then year 10, to have, you know, my first game, true game as an assistant coach, be at the place where it all started for me in 1998 was wild. <laughs> It was wild. So it was good to be back, man. Got a lot of love. Um, you know, a lot of people are still there that were there when I played there. So it was good hugging people and, you know, shaking hands and, you know, seeing old friends. Um, I went to lunch at one of the, you know, pubs I used to always go to when I was there and just kind of sat in this nostalgic state of, man, I can't believe I used to come here and hang out on Friday and Saturday nights. And I'm sitting here now as a 39-year-old man with two kids. <laughs> so it's been good, man. Um, love Wyoming. I think another great job. Jeff Linder, I think, will do a phenomenal job there turning that program around. Another state like Hawaii, no pro team, no other Division One team. Um, when the double-A is packed, it's rocking at 7,200 feet. Looking forward to great things there. Well, Chris McMillan, hopefully one day you will have the same nostalgic experience out here in Hawaii that you had at your alma mater, Wyoming, when you are able to come back in some capacity, whatever that, that may be. Uh, I'll definitely have to catch up with you at that time, assuming I'm here too. Who, who the heck knows, right? But it's, it's been a pleasure, We're man. going right. Thanks, man. When I come in town, we're going to go to Dukes and we're going to go to Morimoto's. Sounds like a plan, Chris McMillan. Thanks so much. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks, B. Thank you.